Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. And on the line with me is Donna Dahl. And we're going to be speaking with Donna about a book that she wrote a while back, but uh, an interesting little book called Lessons I Learned from the Tortoise. Donna, good day to you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Donna is joining us from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, where she's spending three months. But the rest of the time, she spends her time in cold Canada. Where exactly in Canada are you from, Donna? I'm from Calgary. Calgary. Okay. Hot in the summertime, cold in the wintertime. <laughs> so, so she enjoys those Calgary stampedes. stampedes. Now, I'm going to let our listeners know a tad bit about you, Donna, before we get into talking about your books and the lessons you've learned. Uh, Donna is an award-winning empowerment coach, having won Women of Inspiration Award for Lifetime Achievement, the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, and the 100th Anniversary International Women's Day Award for Outstanding Services to Business. Uh, Donald, Donna is humbled by the numerous testimonials and recommendations uh, posted on loan, online, both by her clients and her peers. And you can find them on Amazon and on public social media networking sites like LinkedIn and Lineable. Um, Donna is a pretty well-versed person. You can go to her website at DonnaPDahl.com. That's DonnaPDahl to learn more about her, her business, her books, how she helps uh, people actually create and write books. But this little book is is quite interesting, actually. I think probably, Donna, many people have know the story of the tortoise and the hare, um, but we always learn something from it. If you would, tell our listeners a little about yourself and what really compelled you to write this book, Lessons I Learned from the Tortoise. Hmm. Thanks for asking. Uh, Aesop's fable about the tortoise and the hare is a story that appealed to me way, way back in time. I, I always found myself identifying with the tortoise. And that, that might have had something to do with the fact that I stopped growing when I was 13 and others were passing me by. You know, it's interesting that when illustrators create pictures depicting the tortoise and the hare, they always have the tortoise flat down on all fours, almost hitting the ground, and the hare is upright on his two hind legs, tall and uh, ready for action. It, it's uh, whether that's an appropriate way to think about the tortoise and the hare or not, uh, I, I'm not sure, but the the moral of the story in the final analysis to me said, you know, it's possible for the underdog to win. And I think that that's, that that's what makes this story so memorable to me. You know, as a coach, I'm working with individuals who are wanting to develop leadership skills, who are working in the realms of team building and wanting to develop confidence 
whether it's in their team or, or in themselves. And so I, I see lessons I learned from the tortoise as, as a sort of a, a, a manual that could, that could help leaders support them, not only themselves, but their teams as well. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting you're saying this because I just did a an interview um, with Kameen Samuel um, called uh, Wealth Coaching, and she actually works with coaches, you know, and, and it relates to your story. You know, people go, oh, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to end up earning six-figure income right away. And it is really about the tortoise and the hare here. It takes time and patience to really develop a good coaching business and reach the levels that you would like to reach. And if you're not committed and determined to do that, chances of you getting there are pretty slim to nil there. You know, I know we see these great famous coaches out there from all over who, you know, maybe they did make money quickly, but I statistically, she proved to me otherwise, as we talked about it. And I think you'd agree with that. Now, you you say in the book that we pattern a lot of our pay, our behavior around guidance that stems from our past. I agree with you. You know, it's we we get comfortable in what we know, so we don't try and kind of push for the discomfort. And I recognize that that's a challenge. How do you recommend changing patterns that are not serving us uh, to our highest and best potential? In other words. You're a coach, you're working with people all day long, and you see these patterns that they get stuck in. And how do you get them to identify the pattern? And how do you get them to release that pattern and become a little bit more um, risky? (laughs) (laughs) One of the first things uh, that, that I like to point out is that I've I've done some work on myself. So I had to I had to confront some of the things that were in my present life. And where did they come from and how did they get there? So one of the things that has happened is that my closet has expanded over the years partly because I haven't necessarily changed my size, but there was uh, something that was instilled in me when I was very, very young, and that was that I needed to be gentle with my clothes. There were people that were described as being hard on their hard on their clothes, and I was asked to be gentle on my clothes so that I could pass it down to younger members of my family. Wow. What In order for me to get a grip on this business of my wardrobe, I needed to be able to do a wardrobe inventory analysis. How did my clothing get to stay there? And what was I going to what was I going to do about it? So you mean purging your closet? (laughs) Purging the closet, but but also but you also, should see my closet. I must uh, have been trying to be gentle on mine as well, because my wife always says to me, you need to get rid of half of that stuff you have in there. But, but until, unless and until we're prepared to face the, the behaviors that we have, the actions that we take, 
the beliefs that we operate on, nothing is ever going to change. And so sometimes it really helps to work with a coach to help identify those underlying pieces that may be having an influence on your life that you that may be no longer serving you. Well, that's a perfect example. I mean, it, it's actually, it, it may sound funny to some, but, you know, look, I grew up with a little Jewish mother who always told me to save everything. And she grew up during the depression. Um, so I got to be um, the benefactor. And I think sometimes what you have to do is on some of these things you get, they're gifts. You have to say, I love what my parents gave to me and you have to accept it versus fighting it, you know? And in my case, it was, it's about like saving stuff. Cause my mom used to send me to school. So here's a perfect example. Like you, you had to be gentle with your clothes. This is a, another great behavior. She had me bringing home the paper bag that she put my lunch in and I would literally have five lunches that would go to school in the same paper bag that she put my name on. Now, some people might just say that that's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but to this day, when I get a bag, I fold it up and I put it away. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows you a pattern that and a belief that you have that can hang on for I'm going to be 69 years old. So that's a long time to be t- hanging around paper bags. But, you know, you utilize this Aesop's fable about the tortoise and the hare and you state that speed may matter, but slow and steady wins the race. And we just used an example about coaching. That's a great thing because you're, you're a coach. Um, you're not going to make probably six figure income in your first year. So, you know, get ready for that. Uh, I know we've all heard the quote, but how many of us have really heard the message? Can you tell the story that you did in the book about Alexander Graham Bell's uh, patent filing? I never knew that. I was just like, wow, that's a, that's a great little story because it exemplifies, you know, the speed, right? <laughs> We're talking about speed. Um, and I won't ruin it. So go ahead and tell it because I didn't know it. Well, Alexander Graham Bell illustrates not only speed, but also commitment. Uh, commitment on a number of fronts. Uh, to begin with, Alexander was all about solving a problem. And that problem had to do with his mother who had uh, challenges with her hearing. So she always needed to use a horn uh, that Alexander would speak into in order to help her to to hear what he was saying. Alexander wasn't satisfied with that as a solution. And so began working on something that at that time was called an, an acoustic telegraph. Another fancy word for what we speak about today as a phone. But with an acoustic telegraph, what he wanted to do was he wanted to be able to transmit sound waves across a a skinny surface like a wire in order to be able to communicate that sound into another space when the person wasn't visible. 
On the day of filing for the patent, apparently Alicia Gray was also working on experimenting with uh, an acoustic telegraph. And in fact, she and others challenged Alexander in the court. Uh, subsequent to his, his filing, uh, and uh, that took years, years of resolution. And finally, uh, Alexander was, was granted uh, the, the patent on the telephone. And uh, in Canada, we still have the Bell system uh, in, in, uh, in effect today as, as a result of having been declared the fastest person to the patent office in 1876. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, and it really does uh, uh, just bring up the whole story of the tortoise and the hare, you know, just hanging out. Are you going to hang out? And that brings me kind of to my next question. Um, In the second chapter of your book, book, you speak about the fact that it's okay to be second. Um, We've seen people who've invented things or... Um, they waited for somebody else to do something and then they made whatever it was better, right? In other words, it's like improving it. Um, I remember, you know, look, I can, I go back to the days when, um, we used to use Palm Pilots and I'm much, many of my listeners will remember that device. And we used to exchange business cards with the infrared, right? It was boom, you would send it. And, you know, you think about it, Palm Pilot, Pebble, which was the first digital watch kind of company as well. And you look back at these and so many people wrote on the back <laughs> of all these kind of inventions. And you said it's okay to be second. You tell the great story about the first producers of automobiles and note that Henry Ford was not first. Um what are the advantages in your estimation of not being first other than I've just pointed out a few um, you can take the technology that somebody comes out with and then you can make it better and better and better and better. <laughs> yes. 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 I, I, I love the question. Um, there's, there are some, you know, who would never enter the race to begin with if someone had already arrived at the finish line. But that didn't uh, that didn't stop Henry Ford. And while uh, Ransom Eli Owls may have had the first assembly line with respect to producing vehicles back at the beginning of the 20th century, it was Henry Ford who was the first to use a conveyor belt in the manufacture of, of automobiles. And so he did. He's a great example of making it better. Uh, if we jump forward to the 1950s, it was actually Russia that uh, had the first Sputnik, the first satellite. And the United States followed uh, in, a year later with putting theirs in, into space. So sometimes the first can be the motivation to, to others uh, coming behind. I think that uh, that coming second says that you didn't give up. In, in, I talked in the book about horse racing where, you know, it's when you place your show uh, 
place is still a pretty important space to be in because it's still in the money. So it's okay to to be second. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you've lost position. In fact, uh, as in Henry Ford's case, uh, it helped him to become the largest producer of automobiles in the world. Yeah, I think people can just perfect it. Sometimes they have the vision for, in his case, it was mass assembly with assembly lines. Um, I, I remember this from the days of technology is, um, you know, Bill Gates way back when I was going to all the shows in Las Vegas that they would do around computers. And, um, the story is, and I'm sure it's totally true that IBM was way before Bill Gates and IBM also, uh, created DOS and Bill Gates bought DOS from IBM. And it wasn't him that actually created the foundation of, I mean, when you look at initially when we were doing computers, it was all DOS stuff, right? Obviously it's progressed way beyond that at this point. But like you say, when you look at the first people, when you look at the uh, university that first said, Hey, uh, they created the internet. They say that internet, um, or the government that was involved in it. I mean, you look at how it's just piggyback. And if you would speak with our listeners about celebrating their success, I think this comes down to an individual level, uh, no matter what place they finish. You mentioned just being in the game, the race. We're talking about the tortoise and the hare here is as important as winning. Um, whether or not the tortoise won it or the hare won it, the reality is they were both in the race. <laughs> they were both in the race. Yeah. So it, sometimes it's a question of what do we value? Do we value participation? Or do we value applause? Or some combination of both? To me, it's all about endorphins. So if, if we're getting exercise, if we're getting mentally challenged, if we're getting recognition, coming first, second, third, it's endorphins sort of send us to our happy place. That, that, that improves our mood. It improves our, our appetite. It improves our, our mental health. And so stepping forward and joining the race is, is a very good practice to have. And I would, I would say to, to leaders, come on, let's, uh, let's, let's improve the spaces where we can um, practice positive, uh, positive engagement with the culture that we're attempting to develop in the workplace. Yeah, and I think, you know, in businesses, you know, when they start up, there's all this uh, smaller businesses that turn into be very big businesses. And then when they get to be very big, sometimes they lose some of that entrepreneur spirit. Um, and, you know, it, there's the old cliche in business consulting, you know, storming, forming, norming, right? And so as you climb up into those various levels, you find that... um there is a level of complacency and bureaucracy in a challenge, but you've got to challenge every individual within the organization to bring their creativity and innovation. That's what most businesses are looking for. And you talk about a really important thing. 
if my goal is aligned with the goal of the company that I work for, that's great. Um, that's where you're going to get the most engagement from me. And you speak about multitasking and how it gets in our way of making progress. Um, and I would agree with you. I think it was actually Microsoft that did the study and they said, how many things can you actually pay attention to at once? And I think optimally, it, I know I'm going to say one, but I think it came down to two or three was it, you know, but people have so much on their plate. Um, speak to the listeners about the power of focus and the distractions of multitasking and how it takes them off of, let's just call it their mark. Thank you. Great, great question. A university professor of mine once asked the question of how many conversations can you listen to at one time? I thought, interesting question. Is his answer was that we can only focus on one conversation at a time. What happens is that we can focus on the conversation over here by focusing our ear in that direction, by shutting off the, this ear, and then fluctuating back and forth will help us to focus on one or the other, but only one at a time. We can't hear two conversations at the same time. So, Thinking about what is the definition of a distraction? And my take on that is that a distraction is, first of all, anything that causes us not to be present in the present tense, in the present moment. And the other is that a distraction acts as a detour. So what is going on in our universe in in 2023 is that we are being pummeled with pings on our cell phone. We're, they're finding that individuals, for instance, working in, a, in an office space might be checking email inboxes as many as 30 times in an hour. If you added all that time up over the course of a, of a day or a week, that's that. It's, there are some who might consider that to be time lost in, in terms of in terms of work. So the part here that bothers me about multitasking is that it is reducing our attention span. Off to stay committed to a particular task or goal for any length of time. And those people who work in a multitasking environment tend to find that at the end of the day, their comment will be that they've accomplished nothing because all they were doing all day long was being gophers. Yeah, and when you have the short attention span on something and you go back and forth, it's like, you know, people wanting to get your attention if you're a middle line manager and your door is open and you said you always had an open door policy. And I get that. I think you you need to hear the people that work for you and with you. Um, but it prevents you from getting the stuff done that you need to get done. So it's almost like I think it's better to time block and have office hours and say, if we really want to talk, you can get me at this particular time. And that seems to be a challenge for a lot of people, because as you said, 
the digital devices are also taking from their time because they're a distraction. They're not only a distraction, they're an addiction. Um, they become highly addictive. Um, and I, I guarantee you that the, um, companies that have those want you to be addicted to them. Uh, that's their point. Um, you, you talk about a really interesting story you tell about the art of quilting and what are known as UFOs. I always thought those were, you know, unidentified flying objects, but it's not in your book. Um, speak with us about finishing what we start and our unfinished projects, because this actually goes right along with what we were just talking about multitasking, uh, allowing and figuring out what the priority is. You know, I think there's, there's a, goal and then there's proximal goals that are the goals prior to those that help you do it a step at a time because in reality this is about taking the baby steps to get to the bigger step no matter how long it takes yeah partly partly greg but one of the things that influences the 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 choice of whether it's finished or not why? Why started in the first place? Was it intended to be a gift? Was it intended to be a challenge project? Was it? Was it? Uh, did it end up being too complex? Uh, was it taking up too much time? So I've, I've come up with uh, with a way. Well, first, to, first tell the audience what the UFO is. You're, the you're UFO. Saying- <laughs> it's an unfinished object, in other words, a quilt project that right. started and remains unfinished. Got it. Okay. There are those people in business who advertise themselves as being persons who finish those UFOs for the quilter. So uh, the project doesn't have to remain unfinished, but anything that's unfinished doesn't necessarily do us any good. And so I've come up with an acronym that might might help those unfinished projects, whether they're quilts or whether they're tasks of of another nature. Finish it, alter it, delegate it, or donate it. Bad. Finish it, alter it, delegate it, or donate it. I like that. I like that. You know, that's a, I know many of my listeners, I don't know if this show gets into Canada, but um, I wouldn't say I'm addicted, but I love American pickers. And so when they go out and they see these old barns filled with old cars or, or chest of drawers, it doesn't matter what it is. This stuff's been sitting there for 25, 30 years. And the, and the pickers will say, well, I had it. It was, I was definitely wanted to finish it, but I never got it done. And it's not just a little bit of stuff. It's barn after barn after barn. You keep thinking to yourself, is is that stuff just distracting me or what? Because there's no way possible that anybody's going to finish doing half of what the stuff is that I see. It's just that it's like an addiction. I call it an addiction. Um, So I get the UFOs. Now, we all know the tortoise won the race uh, through focus and physical stamina and determination. What is it that you want our listeners to know about tenacity and determination? Uh, because that's a big one. And I'm sure when you're, when you are 
um, coaching people, um, you know, one of the things that I'm noted for, I would say, is my tenacity and my determination. This is my 16th year of this show. And most people say, how did you get to almost a thousand podcasts? It's like, they they can't even believe that I've stayed around in it that long. Um, but, you know, I love what I do. And I think that's part of it. You've got to love it. And you, and you really have to stick with it. It's not always uh, wine and roses. It isn't always great. Uh, but you get through those and then you keep improving how you do it, your process. Then it becomes easier. You know, so speak to them about tenacity and determination. Tenacity and determination are based in commitment. You know, I when I was, I had applied for acceptance into master's studies. And at the time, I was a single parent mom. Holding down a full-time paying job and wanting to improve my credentials, got accepted. And I'm approaching five years into the program, and I get called into, uh, in, into the office of the, of the department head telling me that I was running out of time. And wouldn't I just rather accept a diploma instead of a master's and call it a day. And I said, uh, no, it's my intention to finish my master's and all I need is one more year. I still had some course work to do uh, and I still needed to write the thesis. But I was given the extension and I completed the master's. In fact, my thesis was 169 pages long, and my examining committee had me change three sentences. So, that is commitment. That's that, <laughs> that is commitment. I think it's it and true in everything that you that you go out to complete, right? And maybe, and I think this is the most important thing. It's a for my listeners, this would be important. The attachment to the outcome is not what we're talking about. It's the journey toward the outcome that's the most important. It doesn't always turn out exactly like you thought. But what creates disappointment in your life is this huge disappointment if you set this stretch goal or whatever in your life and you don't get there. And then you start beating yourself up for it. And you said that earlier in this interview. It's okay to be second, right? Even okay to be third. The point is you were still in the game. And I think that's an important point of this whole book, you know, of our interview. If there's a takeaway there, and I'm going to ask you about that. You have a lot of great stories and examples in the book. And if you were to leave our listeners with three sound bits of advice regarding speed tenacity, determination, commitment, what would you like to leave them with and how could they apply it to their lives like really immediately as a result of listening to this podcast? 
Well, there. Thank you for the question. Uh, the I think what one of the things that that is really important to reflect on is strategy, and and what influences strategy. We've talked about strategy being entering the game. Strategy could be based on a time element. A strategy could be based on simply. Uh, Attempting to respond to circumstances in our environment. So, what? Let's get in touch with what is our what is our strategy for moving forward. The second point that I'd like to make has to do with bias, and that is that there are elements in the book where I address things that we value. Are we, are we more prepared to value speed or are we more prepared to value tenacity? Are we more prepared to value finishing or are we more prepared to value getting engaged? We, we need to confront our bias in, in order that we can perhaps create a different realm of influence when it comes to diversity and inclusion. The last point I'd like to make has to do with challenge. And in in the afterword in my book, I write that challengers inspire us to take giant steps long before we might ever become giant. So I would like to challenge all those who are listening today to consider the possibility of reaching, stretching, accepting a challenge, accept my challenge to take lessons I learned from the tortoise, my book, to be your manual as you proceed with your leadership plan. That's a, that's very sound advice Um, for my listeners. Many of them might already know, or maybe they don't know. Um, but I have a co-authored book coming out called um, Life on the Precipice. It was co-written with um, Bo Parfett and Kathy Sparrow. And it's all about the expedition climbers and extreme athletes and how they say committed and determined to reach their goals. Um, it's those ones, like we say, I have one gentleman I interviewed, he climbed Everest 17 times. So if you can imagine the the determination it takes to do that that many times. Um, it's pretty amazing. And most of the people, I would say, after having interviewed all these advanced climbers, it's tenacity, determination, and commitment. And those are three great words because um, that's the only way you're ever going to achieve those lofty goals that they had. So Donna, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, inside personal growth. And for my listeners, again, go to Donna P. Dahl, D-A-H-L.com. You can learn more about her there. You can learn about her services as a coach, uh, her business book development, workshops and talks, um, spotlights on Donna. There's a blog as well. Um, please visit that website and we'll put a link to Amazon to this book, which is only available in Kindle format. 
Um, it's $4.99 US. So it's very inexpensive, uh, something you can download and probably read within an hour or hour and a half, something like that. Uh, very easy book to read and a, a good book to have uh, to pull some of these tidbits out of. So Donna, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and background with us. And as a coach, if you're looking for a good coach, uh, go to Donna's website, contact her. There's a contact Donna right in the left-hand corner. Donna, namaste to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.